And he said, have you ever heard of feng shui? And I was like, what's that? And basically what I could glean then and what I started exploring is how is it that we orient ourselves within an environment so that our energy, our sense of self and our experience is maximized. Hi, and welcome to And If Love Remains. I'm your host, Mike Levitt. I have on the line two great guests and two uh, good friends of the show. Um, again, Elias Axel Pedersen will be joining us today. Um, and we also have with us Mark Ainley. And I'm normally when we have Mark on specifically, um, he's with the Piano Files and we get to talk about really cool stuff like, um, like old piano recordings and amazing artists and, and cool stuff. But we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to talk, I think, I, I think we're going to talk a little bit about maybe design and philosophy and uh, Mark, why, why don't you, why don't you uh, uh, kind of take it? Let us know. What are we going to be talking about today? Uh, today uh, we're going to be talking about feng shui and I think demystifying a little bit the, uh, the preconceptions that people have about feng shui. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of people just think you, it's just a way of doing Asian decor and uh, it's supposed to bring good luck and all of that. And I think uh, it's actually, an incredibly deep and insightful way to view not just where you live, but really all of reality awesome. and how it is we engage uh, with the environment, how the environment impacts us and uh, that dance between the inside and the outside. So I, I think it's very cool stuff. So there's lots of music in there as well. So it ties in with harmony and balance and all of that. And I think it should be, uh, I'm sure we're going to have a great conversation as we always have. Absolutely. And, and it's, inter it's interesting, like, especially I think since the, you know, the pandemic that has gone on and people spend a lot more time inside, they've mm -hmm. noticed their, they've noticed their spaces a lot, much more, they, you know, maybe engage more even with outside things. I, I think this is a really important subject. Um, you know, how do we engage with the environment around us? And, and, you know, uh, the only knowledge I have about feng shui, and I appreciate you pronouncing that <laughs> properly for us, but, um, is as I mentioned before, like maybe some jokes from uh, you know some stand-up comedian or something like that. But but yeah, it, it's such an interesting um, topic. Um, I, first of all, let's let's talk about um, your um, your relationship with feng shui. How did it, how did it come into your life? And um, mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that. So I think like many of the things that were very meaningful to us, it came unexpectedly. Uh, I had just moved to London in 1996 after three and a half years in Japan, and I was going there, uh, you know, I was interested in music and the music industry, as you know, and I, I, I moved to London and I moved in with a friend of a friend. I had somewhere to stay for a few weeks and then, you know, through my social network, I, you know, found a place to live. And we were talking about my experience living in Japan for the previous few years. And, you know, I think a Westerner moving to a place where the whole structure of the language is so completely different. Mm -hmm. 
and how things are done is so different, it really opens up your mindset. I mean, you can resist that, of course, and a lot of people do. And you could just decide to see whatever's different is wrong, which again, a lot of people do. And that can be, I think, actually a major topic uh, for what we can discuss today. But for me, you know, learning the language and learning how, you know, everything I've learned is just learned and not necessarily true. Uh, I got really interested in, you know, the whole mindset and the way of life and so on, not just in Japan, but, you know, the Asian philosophy in general. And I got introduced through a friend in Japan to, um, to the Tao, to the, the Tao Te Ching, this sort of ancient uh, philosophical text that's quite poetic and very deep. And it's got, you know, very deep concepts, very simply expressed and quite minimal with its word choice, but it really hits to the core. And I was talking to this, talking about this with my new roommate, and he said, have you ever heard of feng shui? And I was like, what's that? Because I hadn't. And he said, hang on a second, and, you know, ran up the steps, came down from his bedroom, and he had a book on it and handed it to me. And I flipped through and I was immediately hooked. And basically what I could glean then and what I started exploring is how is it that we orient ourselves within an environment so that our energy, our sense of self, and our experience is maximized. So, um, so yeah, so there I was, like, interested in, like, how is it that you orient yourself in your space? And how can, like, is there some kind of patterning or program to how physical space gets aligned in a way that's balanced? Like, you know, I my first alternative healing technique that I came across is one that you guys have discussed on this program before, Alexander Technique, right? Yeah. which right. was one of my deep loves. Absolutely love it. It was thoroughly eye-opening to me when I uh, got into that at the age of 16, when I first found out about it and started you know, getting sessions uh, in Montreal when I was 19. And as it turns out, with the same uh, person same who uh, I guess had been, yeah. had been working with. So it was kind of mind blowing. And I really actually thought that I might become a facilitator, but I, I ended up wor working into something, you know, moving in some into something similar, but different. But, you know, there is this, there's this whole other way, you know, we've learned one thing, and there's actually another way that we can be balanced, that's more intrinsic. And I think a lot of our deepest learning comes from unlearning what we've learned and what's covering up the essential and, you know, stripping away the inessential so that you're left with the essential. And that was some of what struck me with Chinese philosophy, but also with uh, what I was reading about with feng shui. Now, there is definitely the way that you can look at feng shui as an external only thing. Like you put this here and that's supposed to do this and you put that there and that's supposed to do that. And, you know, there's a truth and a lie to that. It can, it's a bit reductionist to see it in the standard Western Cartesian way. But if you look at, you know, there is actually no difference between the inside and the outside. Uh, we see physical world as external from our frame of reference. And we see our thoughts and experiences as internal because, you know, we're inside our body and that stuff's not visible. So we think that's, that's what's inside and physical world is outside. But if those are, we're all actually just on one continuum, uh, then there is actually no separation between that. And, you know, if anything, the COVID should have taught us and really still could teach us is look how communicable everything is. Mm -hmm. Because basically, you know, the air molecules spread around. I mean, they spread around the world. 
this thing spread around the world and that's what energy is like that's what physical physiologically and subatomic like all the atoms moving around all the molecules moving around <clears throat> you know everything is constantly moving and if you want to just bring things down to a very simple level you know if you mop your floors the air at eye level looks cleaner and why shouldn't it because the air in the room is the air in the room and that touches the floor mm. right there so there is no real separation and i think one of the issues we've got in the western mindset is that we see everything external that we're not physically attached to as separate from us mm -hmm. uh, so alan watts my favorite zen philosopher who i also first came across when i was living in japan um you know he he, he talked about how uh you know we think that our, our world ends at our fingertips and so, you know, when you let go of something, it's no longer your problem, which is why it's very easy to litter mm -hmm. and pollute. It's not my problem, right? But you wouldn't do that, you know, in your bedroom or your living room, except for the fact that actually some people do, mm -hmm. right? But, you know, some people, if you would, you know, not to offend anyone's finer sensibilities, but, you know, people might feel comfortable spitting on the sidewalk, but you wouldn't do that in your living room. Mm -hmm. So it's okay outside, but it's not inside. But why is there any difference and why is littering somehow okay like it's it's still all it's still it's all part of the same ecosystem mm -hmm. and i think that you know again covid could have could have and maybe still has the potential to teach us the fact that yes everything is connected what one person does affects everybody what you know air moves around oxygen moves around everything moves around um <clears throat> and again an example which you know not not the most pleasant one but it's kind of clear you know, if somebody decides to, you know, uh, you know, I'm not going to go to the bathroom. I'm at the swimming pool. So, you know, have a little wee in the pool. There's no non, there's no part of the pool that's not affected. Yeah. There's no peeing section of the pool. <laughs> once, once something's in there, it's all in there. And that's what it's like with energy. So if you want to just think, then just translate that into your home. If you have stuff in your home that you don't like, if you have clutter in your home, if you have stuff that when you look at it, you have a negative association with it, how can it not be affecting you? Well, absolutely. I think, and, and, you know, um, and, and there's, you see a, a, a realization of that. Um, even I think in, in Western minds, it, 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 that's something that I think resonates. Let me put it that way. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we even have, we even go so far as having a, um, uh, you know, famous psychologist who, who, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson, who, you know, love him, hate him, doesn't matter. You know, he, he encourages people to, to pick up their room. And why? Because it'll make you better. And you think, well, why would that, why would picking up your room make you better? There's a level of responsibility and responsibility has become a bit of a, uh, a dirty word in our culture. Right. Uh, and there, there's some weight and so on to it. But there, there's another way of looking at that as well, which is how you do anything is how you do everything. Yes. Yes. And if you're not going to do it at home, then can you really be expected to do it elsewhere? And the fact is, actually, it's true. Some people do do th diff things differently out, out in the outside world than they do at home. But actually, it's a source of stress yes. for that to happen. Well, because it's not authentic. You know? it, exactly. Exactly. It might be well-intentioned. And people, I think, you know, to be honest, I mean, really, I think everybody is doing their best yeah. with the information that they have available within the construct of their belief system everybody's doing their best not a popular idea when it comes to some people but in fact it's if you take into account somebody's belief system 
yeah. you know, then yes, they are. Uh, and the skills that they actually really do have available that they can apply. So when it comes to, you know, tidy up your room, clean up your room. Yeah. People don't want to hear that as well because it reminds them of their parents telling them to do something they'd rather not do. And this nature of, you know, adulting, which has become a term now, right? right. That, uh, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm done with adulting for today. You know, <laughs> I have to wash the dishes, you know, that, that level of responsibility. You know, when people look back and they say, you know, life was so much better when, yeah. uh, you know, it's really easy to get into that mode. But the reason life was better then isn't because you know, TV was better then because, you know, really it wasn't or that, you know, food was better than, well, not really. I mean, you know, the number of additives and all of that stuff and lack of controls was pretty awful back in the past too. What was really great was the fact that you weren't paying rent and working yeah, and you didn't have these responsibilities. <laughs> you know, it life was a lot better when your parents were paying for everything and you had more time to do what you wanted. And, you know, the weight of responsibilities can be a pressure where sometimes people decide, you know, I don't want to take care of things at home because it reminds me too much of, you know, that pressure when I was a kid and I'm already doing so much and I'm tired from work. And, you know, there's a level of really justifiability and reality to it, right? People, you know, life can be challenging and it's tiring. I think uh, that um, a lot of, you know, kids, of course, they want to grow up and say, I can't wait till I'm an adult and I can do anything I want. I have all the freedoms mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. adults want to be kids because they don't have any of the responsibilities. And there are plenty of adults of adults who want all those freedoms, quote unquote, you know, freedoms without the responsibilities and don't understand yeah. what, what that entails. Um, and something else you talked about brought up a little bit of um, Jonathan Haidt. He, he has these uh, moral matrices he talks about. And you know, different cultures will see uh, certain things as, as either gross or not gross or acceptable or unacceptable. You know, you mentioned mm -hmm. spitting, you know, uh, typically here we we're not a culture that or at least I, the way I was raised, we, we don't spit anywhere in public or in private. But, you know, if you go to um, uh, China, for instance, it's, it's fairly common for people yeah. just to spit on the street. And it's not that mm -hmm. those people are gross. That's just the culture. You go to Singapore. You know, and you're not even allowed to, yes. uh, you know, uh, put gum on, you know, you, you just can't chew gum right. in public and, and, and you can't wear, it's so uh, controlled, but they might not see it as that. It's, it's, it's also one of the cleanest countries you'll ever, you'll ever take. So That's, there's a trade-off. There's a, there's a trade-off for everything. There's a cost for everything. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, there's, Reality is reality, whether you like it or not, and whether you believe it or not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, gravity works, mm -hmm. you know, calories in, calories out. Like, there's all of this stuff that happens, right? So, you know, if you drop something, it will fall down. Like, mm -hmm. these things happen. You don't have to believe that that will happen for it to happen. Yeah. And so when it comes to feng shui, uh, you know, and I've seen this quote going around about science, you know, this is, mm -hmm. the, you know, given some of the, you know, the topics uh, that are in the news now, yeah. you know, science is true, whether you believe it or not. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say it is the same for feng shui, because actually, you know, these principles work, whether you believe them or not. And there is a lot that's expressed in feng shui which has been not through the lens of feng shui, which has been through environmental psychology and biophilia, which are two um, you know, forms of design that ha are, use science-backed data mm -hmm. for the impact of the built environment on the human being. And the, the principles totally align with feng shui. Mm -hmm. And so there is, to my, in my estimation, 
absolutely scientific backing for a lot of feng shui principles and the general concept, because there wouldn't be the field of environmental psychology, which, you know, you can go to study at university as a scientific discipline, that wouldn't exist. And that, that's the overall philosophy mm -hmm. of feng shui. Uh, and I think there are certain elements of feng shui, which, no, they ha there is not the scientific research on it. And I personally would welcome it. Yeah, I, and I also think that the whole, unfortunately, though, you know, the the whole process of science of how science justifies things and studies things uh, can be so reductionist that it can actually leave out some of the things that create what it is that happens in experience. Because there, and this is where I, I call feng shui an art science, art slash science, because there is both. Because how we react is very individual. So how one person is going to react to exactly the same thing in the same environment is going to be different. And so this is where it's it can be hard to pin things down. But there are a number of very broad principles which absolutely do apply and are very powerful that are part of feng shui. And a lot of those have been validated from everything that I have read about mm -hmm. biophilia and environmental psychology. Every time I come across stuff, I was like, yeah, that's totally something that I would be presenting to my clients or students. Yeah. I wonder too, if it's, you know, science is, is always learning. And I think people don't yes. necessarily understand the scientific method or the fact that yes. we have a certain amount of understanding and facts now, but those could change and, and it might yes. not change a fundamental core principle, but it could mm -hmm. change a little bit of the outside of it. And, um, and, and that, that doesn't mean it was wrong before. It just means Absolutely. it's sort of growing and, I don't know if it can necessarily pinpoint or or judge or measure art in a way, and and maybe that's a good thing. Well, um, I, I have a, yeah. a theory that that um, art is um, um, a fractal. Like what what makes art, and one of the things that makes art is that art is a fractal. In other words, mm -hmm. it works both all the way up and yes, all the way yeah. down. Yes. So so when you call feng shui an art, I really appreciate that. I, I, as an example, I I mean. Like I said, I know nothing about it. So I'm excited to hear about some of these principles and such. But mm -hmm. I'm right now in the process of reorganizing my studio. I, I um, just pulled out two big armoires and and my wife and I, you know, cleaned some, a bunch of stuff out. And and like literally it's almost like I can breathe. I'm mm -hmm. like, I, had, I had no idea that I wasn't breathing in here. I had no idea that I wasn't thinking in here, that yeah. somehow the clutter that was surrounding me was somehow cluttering my mind. And so yes. they, they call design and feng shui and art. It's a fractal nature that works all the way up and all the way down. That's it. I mean, everything, like I was saying before, right? Everything is connected and you might not see the threads of connectivity, but that doesn't mean they're not there. And often it is that, you know, we become so familiar to things that it's only the familiarity that makes them comfortable or we tolerate things and we tune them out. And then when we tune out the discomfort, we tune out other things. And so mm -hmm. go back to Alexander technique, right? Um, slouching mm -hmm. feels comfortable yeah. when you're out of alignment. And when you start doing the right thing and having that natural, innate, upright posture, you, the muscles that haven't been used can feel uncomfortable and it can take a while to readjust. And then actually you feel this alignment and you can't imagine doing the previously wrong thing and so similarly like you remove the clutter of the muscular tension of, of the slouching so to speak and then all of a sudden it's like hey i can sit upright and i can actually be myself and i can express with greater ease and you know because there's less uh interference i mean, I, I i consider clutter is like um 
and James Clear in his wonderful book, uh, Atomic Habits, speaks about, you know, friction in the environment, mm. uh, you know, or if, that basically you're, we have, when things are, and when our environment isn't supporting what we want to do, we say there's like, there's like friction. And I, I consider clutter to be a form of friction in the environment. Now you don't want everything to be too super smooth. Otherwise, you know, it's like you're, you know, if you're driving on ice, well, you need to hit the brakes and then what happens? Right. So we need to have, yes, there's a certain degree of friction that we need. Uh, but you know, and we, we tend to live life in straight lines and our architecture is built on straight lines, but life doesn't flow in straight lines. And this is where you bring up the fractal that actually really ties that in. Uh, that, you know, there is a meandering, evolving pattern to how things flow that doesn't always match the linear clinical element to how the human mind can work mm -hmm. in that reductionist thing. And that's unfortunately where I think sometimes science has gone off. Uh, I mean, you know, how did, you know, penicillin got created because there wasn't a sterile laboratory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, so if, you, if we're doing things in too sterile an environment, we're actually, this is not how life works. So it can help on some level, but a lot of discoveries happen by accident. And um, the way you're going to figure things out sometimes is not always going to be in a linear way. But it's, mm -hmm. so how do we adapt when we're moving in a linear fashion and then all of a sudden we get a curveball? How do we adapt? And that's when, when you look at a meandering river in the environment, you know, the reason it got its shape is because it was flowing in a straight line. It came across some land that it couldn't push through. And it went around. And the water was working with its operating principle of keep flowing, you know, when there's some propulsion. So it has this mm -hmm. gentle persistence and it keeps going and it continues and it finds that what's the path of least resistance because I, ca I can't get past this. And so it adapts. And so there's a book also that's called The Obstacle is the Way. <laughs> and if you consider that as a philosophy, but if you you know, it's phenomenal. And if you look at a river, you can see the reality that that obstacle created the form of the river. Like, so it literally is the way, the way of the river, the whole river path was formed by obstacles. <laughs> it's the Tao. It is. And it's, it's also though, when I use the word obstacle, there's, there's an issue there because that's the dualistic perspective mm -hmm. for the river. It's actually not really the obstacle. It's just, it's the way. Right. Yeah. And so it's not a problem that in our culture, right, anything that is unexpected, it's and it's become worse and worse uh, in, in, in recent years, anything that's unexpected that we don't want, that we don't anticipate is seen as a problem. It's a negative quality associated with and, it. Yeah. yeah. And then how we try to get through it is by continuing the straight line. That's yeah. so brilliant. And we try to break through that obstacle as opposed to, well, wait, how about meeting this obstacle and doing an assessment with where I'm at, which is what the water does. It doesn't avoid the shoreline. It actually meets what becomes the shoreline and says, okay, you know, this is no, I'm going to keep going. Let's go to the left over here and see what happens. Well, it's, it's like, it's, it, you know, because again, and this is really um, part of our, our Western mindset, you know, we're, we're able to, to create things through, um, uh, you know, through force, you know, we hammer stuff together. We, we cut things and, and it, it works. We, we use our technology to kind of force nature into bend nature to our will in a way. 
Um, we build dams and we, you know, and I'm not saying that those things are wrong. Like, like I'm a huge Western, like I'm a big fan of technology. Absolutely. Me too. However, there is a mindset of, of, you know, uh, I'm I'm gonna. I have a I have a buddy who used to laugh at me because I would have a tendency. I was so persistent on stuff that I'd have a tendency to go through a wall when the door was right next to me. I didn't. I just couldn't mm-hmm. see that it was there. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, and there's there's something to that, and sometimes that's needed. But I think the the lack of meeting what's there and connecting to the bigger picture, which then enables you to realize, you know, this so-called obstacle, this rerouting opportunity is actually helping me perhaps avoid something that's further on in the landscape that I might not be aware would actually be more of a problem if I barrel through this than if I move to the side. And so, uh, you know, this is, this is the challenge when you're in the present moment, you don't see the big picture necessarily, right. From that perspective. And so when you're, you know, same when you're driving down the road, right? I mean, you, you need to, you go around the corner, you don't know what's around the corner, but actually that's what's engaging. Mm-hmm, right. It keeps you in the present moment and it helps you engage with the environment, enjoy the scenery, that being in the present moment, because you don't know what's coming, don't know what's coming, don't know what's coming. That's what the experience of life is really about. Yeah. And if you think about the most memorable enjoyable experiences you've had generally it's been what's been unexpected unplanned uh you know unanticipated it was a surprise it was uh, there's any number of things it was something that was new to you so you hadn't tasted that kind of food before you hadn't expected to come across that restaurant and you decided to try it out and nowadays it's very different because we're going to read the reviews on yelp we're going to go use google maps yeah, we're right. taking everything according you know so there's no adventure and I'll go further in this in this whole concept, and then maybe we'll come back to sort of how feng shui actually applies to your home. But you know, this is all philosophical, but it all ties in. Um, movie trailers. This is one of the hmm. things that's been honking me off for ten or twenty years, where they show you the microcosm of the whole movie with plot twists, mm-hmm. major plot twist devices, hmm. and they're showing you that. So then, why do you want to go see the movie? There's going to be no surprises. Mm-hmm. And I think this has trained the public and in a sense uh, stopped people from developing their capacity to be able to tolerate surprise and be mm-hmm. well with surprise. I think it's one factor, one feature. It's, and yeah. it's not, you know, it's not obviously consciously intended on the part of Hollywood. You know, let's control people, you know, let's limit people's ability to adapt. But it, I think it actually has that effect. And the yeah. irony I find with that is uh, do you all know the uh remember what the best biggest grossing movie of all time was oh um i mean titanic's up up there it's up there but, but it's not uh, star yeah. wars is probably up there no it's avatar avatar i was going to say that's yeah right. that's a nice and in avatar specifically the trailer showed you none of the story and you didn't even see what they looked like and you know yet that- i have to say it was a bit Formula. It was still Hollywoodish, and and I think it, what yes. you're getting to is the formulas. I think things, what, I'm, what, and, what I'm getting to though is this is the trailer though, not the movie. Oh right. yeah, so the right. people weren't just the trailer. So the so the people were like, wow, what is this going to be? Oh. And you're so right. And people are craving that. And and one of the ways that we know people are craving that excitement, that adventure, if you look at television today, <clears throat> the number uh, the number one ad placements for television are all sporting events 
And mm-hmm. the reason why is because it's the only type of entertainment today that we have no expectation. We have no idea what's actually going to happen. <laughs> can't be we have to see it in the moment. And so we that's have it. to watch the commercial to see the next quarter. And what if that is the reason why, I mean, it could be, that's one of the reasons. I mean, there's a whole other thing with tribalism and, you yeah, know, right. and togetherness and all of that, where it doesn't have to be dual and it can actually be great as opposed to militaristic mm-hmm. in the sense of, you know, us against them and just actually really enjoying the inherent nature, you know, the, some of the higher qualities of competition and sort of furthering and bettering and, you know, doing your best and all of that. But, uh, you know, that whole, you don't know what's coming. It's the same thing with gambling. Yeah. That's why people gamble because it puts you in the present moment. You're taking a risk and you don't know what's happening and the roulette table and slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. And you're in the moment. And we spend so little time in the moment in general because it's same old, same old. There are many Every days the same. You, do, you drive this drive to work the same way. You sit at the same desk. Everything looks the same. Everything tastes the same. I'm going to have the same coffee. All of that sort of stuff, which is why, you know, this is why, you know, the pumpkin spice latte, all of a sudden it's like, woohoo, you know, here's something that I know, but it's not every day. And it's, and so, you know, you can have something that's different. It's new, it's seasonal, even if you know it. But this is why people want new taste sensations and all of these kinds of things. But but you can do this in your home. Right. So I was going to say, apply this to feng shui because we're talking about two almost competing ideas in a way. Yes. We're talking about flow. Mm-hmm. Going yes. with the flow, creating a, a, a you know an mm-hmm. environment that works with the energy that works with, yes. with your goals, but at the same time we have this like aspect of you know the yin and yang. We we have this one mm-hmm. aspect of of um, you know excitement and and un- yes. you know the undiscovered country that needs to be part of that same environment. Yes. How do we put that together? How do we do that? I mean, the main thing is, you know, I think a lot of fun people think that feng shui is going to be, it's a one time you put everything in its right place and then it's great forever and ever. And that's it. And you never, you never move it. You mean it's not? Yeah. yeah, Sorry. (laughs) Newsflash. Just like, you know, I mean, plants, flowers, you know, flowers rot and you throw them out and you get new flowers. Uh, you know, plants grow and they die and, you know, things evolve and you have to open the window and get fresh air in your home. And you need to, you do need to update things occasionally because your nervous system need, does need a new hit. And I'm not speaking here, but just about, you know, mindless commercial consumerism and, uh, you know, just buy new everything all the time mm-hmm. to change things up. But there needs to be ways where you have, you know, what are the signposts? What are the landmarks? And then what are the things that are changing within that environment? so that you have both the sense of stability that a home needs to provide because it's there to make you know where you can feel safe and secure and be protected uh from the elements again which has an ironic ring to it when you talk about you know feng shui and the five elements of nature but you know it's nice it's very it's raining here in vancouver now it's nice to be indoors and to be warm and it's, you know and all of that so that's right. that's great uh so you have that level of protection but you also need that where is it not going to feel static and stuck and nothing changes and then i feel stuck so it's it's that you know when you look at the yin yang symbol and you know war, you know warning uh, you'll have to rein me in a little bit here because i can talk about yin yang just forever because it's <laughs> pretty amazing but you know you have the uh you know the two sides of that and the the line that connects it down the middle is that meandering line, which is the same form as the meandering river that I was telling you about. That's correct. And that is that dancing line between the line that, uh, you know, is for, is between those opposites. And it's a little bit like, you know, if you imagine something that kind of looks like the yin yang, when you have a little bit of dabble of balsamic vinegar inside the olive oil, uh, in the little dish at the restaurant that you're going to dip your bread in. Uh, if you're gluten-free or not. Um, and 
you know, what's the what's that that connecting line between where the olive oil, you know, where it doesn't blend with the balsamic? You know, there's that magical line that's just there where they're in touch, but they're not, you know, it's that, that magical space. And that meandering line is really what it's about. So we have, we live in a polarized world of opposites mm -hmm. and right there, there is a harmony, there is a harmonious way for those to interact. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and I think if we look at yin yang, this is one of the most important concepts of anything. And it relates to everything that's going on in our culture now and to what we can do in the home as well. Um, which, do you know which one is uh, which one's the the dark side and which one's the light side? Do you know? Oh, I always forget. Uh, I did know this at one point, but I don't. Okay. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just no. So, yeah. So the, the the yin is dark. Uh, you know, yang is is the lighter one. And uh, in my question was flawed. So your answer is only going to be as good as the question <laughs> that you ask, because there is no dark side, okay. and there's no light side. Okay. There's the darker side. No, no and the lighter way. side, because the, no, the, the 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 one that's black has the seed of the white. Right. Yeah. It, right there's that little white circle that's in it. Like okay, okay. I was gonna say is that like Plato's triangle, but no, that's, you're you're talking yeah. about something mm -hmm. different. Okay, gotcha. right. And then you you know you know the form we're talking about, right? With yeah. that sort of it looks like those two sort of like almost like seals or something. Right, down. but you're you're not saying it's not it's not the white side so because there's no such thing as white. You're saying is, it, it's it's actually not completely white. And and the black side is not completely black because it's got a white dot in it, which is and those grow into the other. It's constantly moving and changing. So there is no such thing as complete darkness or complete light. And if you spend time in nature, you know, you go out at night uh, and, you know, when there's no city lights, your eyes adapt. Mm -hmm. So it's never black. It's always just darker. Yeah. And then there's lighter. So it's all relative. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, we're, we're trying to live in a culture where, you know, things are stated as absolutes and those absolutes don't really exist quite in the same way in nature. We're more and comfortable with binaries, you know, is or is are. not on or off, right or wrong, you yes. know, yes or no. And, it's, it's and, just it, and it helps us, it helps us to function to a certain degree. And yeah. there is within a framework that does work and that does exist. Like, you know, if the computer is on, it is on. And if it is off, it is off. That's true, mm -hmm. actually. Except for uh, it, it's keeping time magically when it's off. Right, <laughs> which is kind of neat, right? So there is stuff that's still going on and the data is still there, even if you can't access it. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's all kinds of different ways of, you know, you can sort of expand outwards a little bit. So, you know, within a certain frame of reference, yes, the duality exists within the duality. Outside of that duality, no, there's actually more. And in reality, there is more between the duality. But just as a matter of speaking, that our culture sees, you know, dark side, light side, and it's like, mm, you know, so not clear. quite as absolute as yeah. we would think. And that meandering line and what helps you navigate between that perceived duality and expressed duality that we have so much in our culture is that fluidity, that flexibility mm -hmm. of not going linear. And in a sense, you know, every curved line, there's straight portions to it yeah, and then it curves and then it and it's the curving is that adaptability and what we've seen in this pandemic is uh that people who adapt have managed and people who haven't have struggled more hmm. and adaptability is not unfortunately a skill that we are well taught 
None of this stuff is stuff that we're taught. We should be taught philosophy. I think we should be taught how to clean our rooms and how to take care of our spaces. We should be taught to create spaces that are meaningful to us, which I think is where we can start to go now with this conversation and what this is all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, so, I, I, you know, I, I was, think, go ahead. Well, I, I didn't, you, you go into these long trains of thoughts. I don't want to interrupt, but I have so many questions that, that please, come please, up. Please. And um, <clears throat> one of the things that I was thinking about when you, when you talk about the curve, the linear versus the uh, the curved line, and and uh, and also that we were not taught to to think in these ways, I think music, you know, bringing it mm-hmm. back to that, since we've yeah. had you for so many musical podcasts, uh, it's so important because it makes you think in a, in a non-linear fashion, and it's not um, this is the right way or this is the wrong way. It's a, this is a way, and this is a better yes. way, and this is. You know, based on some some fact or some knowledge, how you can improve it. But um, mm-hmm. I, I had one question early on, which you, you know, you were talking about how Western thought and uh, maybe Eastern thought. Uh, I was just thinking of Descartes saying, "I think, therefore, I am," and mm-hmm. that there is no sort of external and internal. Everything is just an internal. Do you think there's a correlation between, or some bridge that can be, or gap that can be bridged? between, you know, feng shui or Confucianism or whatnot and, and like Descartesian um, mm. or, or not. I, I don't know if that's... I'm, I will depend. I'll, I'll, I'll try and I'll see if I'm actually getting to your question, to the heart of your question or not. One thing I'll point out, though, if we go like just to jump back to the musical thing, you know, there is no right and wrong, but unfortunately, musical culture has tried to create a right and wrong mm. out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Where the lines like the right no- the, the wrong notes are wrong versus well musically what's being expressed and is it really a wrong note or you know Mm -hmm. the bar lines really mean something as opposed to well what's the phrase that extends beyond the bar lines Mm -hmm. what about the rubato which can't be expressed linearly uh in the Mm -hmm. text and how do we do that so there are you know unfortunately the notation is literally on the page black and white Mm -hmm. and yet we're creating color (laughs) and and the the notation notation is The notation does have straight lines, but we're creating something beyond well, that. But I, we, I think, yeah, but we've gotten into, you know, like to go back to uh, Corto and that Bach recording that we played last time. I mean, the rubato and good luck playing rubato like that in the conservatory today because it's seen as quote unquote wrong, um, you know, for Bach. And yet, are we really sure about that? So th- this this starts to be the challenge, and I think that then music gives us the great example of well, actually, no, the right and wrong doesn't work with it. And then when we start looking at you know at design and and feng shui has in a fact in sense been it has been applied in a right wrong way, and this is the issue with it that has been applied uh, popularly and by some proponents of it in a way that I think is is inaccurate and not to the heart of the teachings. And that is a more Confucian way where it is, this is the right way. This is the correct way of the human mind. And this is the reason, and this is what we see. Whereas, you know, with nature, well, no, actually nature just does what it does and it doesn't interfere and it's less, there's control from within but the control and chaos are really, you know, there you have those two sides of yin and yang and they're harmoniously blended. And how do you, mm-hmm. how do you balance that? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like where, you know, feng shui is actually not about minimalism and it's not just about everything is perfectly lined up and, you know, Cartesian mm-hmm. sort of linear sense. Yeah. Because again, you don't see straight lines in nature unless they are aggressive. But that's when I, what I am, when I hear feng shui or if I, if I imagine it in my mind, that is yeah. kind of what I, I think of mm-hmm. is, is a minimalist, yeah. like very stark 
Um, yeah. You know, maybe maybe the desk is in a strange area or something. You know, but yeah, that's I mean, kind of, that's kind of what what I imagine. Yeah, and the 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 challenge comes in in a few ways. Uh, it's where a lot of folks who have applied it, you know, to the letter of the traditional text without adapting to contemporary architecture, uh, they can, again, the literalism can miss some of the point and miss the natural expression. And again, we see the same thing in music, right? Where those who stick to, you know, uh, so-called authenticity isn't necessarily authentic because, you know, right now we're not living in China 3000 years ago or 4,000 years ago. Right. We have Wi-Fi and electricity and indoor plumbing and, you know, all these great windows and, uh, you know, these kinds of materials and all of this sort of stuff, which, you know, you change one factor in an equation, the entire equation has changed. Mm -hmm. That happens in math, right? You change one number, one factor in an algebraic equation, the whole equation is different. And so we need to look at what's the, what are the, what are the bigger, broader principles and how is it that we apply this then in the reality that we're in the 21st century, you're in wherever, you know, whatever country you are with whatever design sense or with whatever person you're with who has their own aesthetic and their own likes and wants and needs. And how do you apply that in that sense? Um, so this is, this is kind of the challenge. And I also think Descartes, uh, you know, I think he, was limited in, I think, therefore I am, as opposed to I be, therefore I am, or I cognize, therefore I am, because I think that thinking is not the only aspect of consciousness, because mm -hmm. there's also feeling, there's thinking, and there's being. So I would say that's sort of, you know, thinking is mental, the feeling is emotional, the being, you could say spiritual, because there's just the isness of it. And so all of that inner world is beyond thinking. Right. And so I think he was, you know, he was articulating it to the capacity that he could as a highly intellectual being. And, you know, there is that. But I think it's also limited, you know, so you can think a certain thing about your home and what you like, but how you feel about it might be different. And how you then be in that space and how you are impacted by it might be different. And so you might think, for example, I'll just try to make up a feng shui concept here. Um, you might think that, okay, you know, uh, I have Aunt Gladys's tea set over there and I need to keep that because Aunt Gladys might come for a visit and she'd be upset if I didn't have it out. Okay. But how you feel when you see it is, oh, God, actually, I really don't like Aunt Gladys. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it kind of triggers you and you don't like it. And so your state of being then, what that starts reflecting to you is that you're willing to do what you don't want for others, which can be a selfless thing, oh, but it can also be where you let other people determine what's going on for you and you're not upfront about what your own needs and wants and such. Mark, are. you are hitting on something that's I think really, really important. And that's like the objects that we have around us are really symbols. Um, yes. And you know, I, I, I think about this- Beyond with what we can imagine. Either. Right. I think about this with my students. I'll ask them occasionally, especially if I've known they haven't like practiced well for a few weeks or something. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, so tell me what, do you, when you see the piano as you're walking by, like, how do you feel? What do you think? Mm. And, you know, oftentimes they're like, uh, uh, you know, not great. Or I feel bad or I feel guilty. So, you know, maybe they don't use those words, but that's kind of the, the general gist that they get. Mm. And, and you have to talk them through the idea that, you know, you can't get rid of like, you know, feng shui. You're not going to get rid of the piano necessarily. But, yeah. But if you can, ha if you can organize your time in such a way so that when you see the piano, you either think I've already practiced, I have a time to practice, or now is the time to practice. 
then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, all the guilt, all the angst, everything else melts away because yes. it's already there. You know, so it's, it's, it's done. And it's it's not about the thing; it's about the relationship with the thing. Exactly. Exactly. So that's about it's your inner. Of the, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that symbol can change. What it reflects and what it means can absolutely change. And this is where I think, again, what what minimalism and feng shui do have in common is a clarifying of the relationship. You know, when you're a minimalist, you've stripped away what it, you know, extraneous things, you know, and you've things you've recognized that you don't need or you don't value. And you can do that by an external metric of having less. Or you can do it through a metric of, you know, and this is where I absolutely, I do love Marie Kondo, not necessarily how everything, her particular aesthetic per se, but the principle that everything around you should spark joy Mm -hmm. is utterly brilliant because it's about clarifying the relationship and what she has people do of touching your objects. That's the water that's meeting the land and the obstacle. Touch it, meet it, decide, do you keep it or you don't? And if you're saying goodbye, thank it. Mm-hmm. There's an there's a real, you know, you're having a relationship with it, where if you treated it as a person, would you just, you know, boot it to the curb or you say, you know, thank you for your time, you know, thank you for this. Uh, thank you for all of your help. You know, there's there's a level of politeness where you start recognizing the things around you are not just things, but they are also opportunities for you to practice your state of being and your relationship with everything. In your life. Some cultures, I mean, at least in, in Jewish culture, I know in Christian culture as well, um, you know, you, you and in Islam as well, that we're all the, similar in this regard that we say prayers uh, for food that we eat and, mm-hmm. you know, in different mm-hmm. ways of thanking them. And, and I always feel a little bit odd you know, saying those necessarily in English, but there are some of the Hebrew ones that I'll say. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just there's just the idea that we're already a couple steps removed you know we don't we don't catch our food anymore we don't grow our food we go to the supermarket and it's there for us prepared by any number Mm. of people or or a line that's come before it um truckers that have brought it to us you know from far far away places and so just just understanding um whether whether or not you think you know an eternal being or not but just acknowledging that you know this came to to me by the work and the help of, of many others uh, mm-hmm. people or non-people you know the animals that that were essentially sacrificed um mm-hmm. and, and just being aware and thankful of that kind of thing um it's it's an object but it's also it becomes us you know in a way so yeah. we're really and it connected. changes your relationship with that food yeah as, as mark was talking about yeah. that's it and so in a sense also what you start doing with feng shui and, and this is one of the other levels and it's not talked about quite as much though a bit is you know your kitchen also relates to your relationship with nourishment. Your dining area yeah. reflects your relationship with nourishment. So, you know, how do you prepare nourishment? How do you assimilate nourishment? And so then that's not just about the physical, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. How am I nourished? And so if the environment is dirty, it's cluttered, it's you can't find what you want, or you can't, you know, or you're not, it's not comfortable, any of those things. You know, this is the way the mind and your consciousness does work. It takes, you know, what's happening on the physical has reverberations that go out to the emotional, mental, and spiritual. Yeah. So I have a question about the clutter thing because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure everybody that has a partner uh, comes into contention or disagreement with how clean or cluttered or whatnot things should be. I'm I'm sure you've 
both seen those um, TV shows like The Clutter Wars or something, and yeah. and where they go to this professor's house who has just books and books. You can't walk anywhere, it's, and it's somehow a couple effect. Yeah, and yeah. somehow they're comfortable. They know where every piece of paper is. Yep. Um, and I wonder, like, are they actually comfortable? That maybe they are. Uh, yeah, this is you know. Can I jump in here? Yeah, um, sure. sorry. <laughs> sorry, I always get so excited with all these great questions and topics. Um, you know, yeah. So comfort is a familiar. Yeah, it's what's familiar, and you know, uh, your comfort can be. Uh, you know, a, you can have a very comfortable co- coffin. Uh, you know, and can limit you. And so, just because something's comfortable doesn't mean it's actually really good for you. It just means it's familiar. So. Yeah. And the reality is, you know, if the person can function, great. Mm-hmm. They are able to function. They know they can function. Is it really objectively true that they couldn't function if the space was more physically aligned? And really, yeah. you only know when you do it. Like how much bandwidth that's mm-hmm. currently being occupied by having to track where things are or knowing where things are inside the mess, what could all of that consciousness bandwidth be Be devoted to if that space were aligned now they're saying i'm sure and they will justify that well you know if no if it's too organized then you know but you're going yin and yang here Mm -hmm. you're going chaos control as a duality as opposed to what's a harmonious blend yeah uh and i don't think subjective like i don't know maybe i i like certain things in a certain place and yes you know my partner will like it a a little bit more in in Mm -hmm. their words organized but to yeah. me, it's like, well, but my way is also organized. It's just a different well, and, organization. It's, it's your organized. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's your your, le- your level of order. Yeah. There's also like a principle of like, um, you know, being well used. You know, like, for yes. example, there are certain things that I need close to me or, or available at a moment's notice, mm-hmm. you know, and, and may, it may not be the most aesthetically pleasing, but mm-hmm. that's what has to happen. Otherwise, it's it's inefficient. It doesn't work. You know? Yes. So so this ties in actually a very deep principle because if we go back to you know minimalism and maximalism and the whole you know functional and that that relationship, you know things being well used is the name of the game. Mm-hmm. That is really what it's all about. How are you being well used in the world? How is everything in your home being well used as opposed to and Gladys's tea set sitting there out of obligation and it's not yeah. being used and I hate it. Right. It's gathering dust and it's just something else I have to dust. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if your desk, you know, everything, first of all, I say when things are being used, it's actually not clutter in the sense that, you know, if you're working on a project and you have papers around and the strewn all over, you know, if you're in the middle of using them, I don't consider that clutter because for me, clutter is uh, things that are not being used, things that are in the wrong place or things that don't where there is no proper place to put them. Hmm. Uh, That's my three definitions of clutter or a combination thereof. Now, the thing is, though, if they constantly stay in a disheveled state, even as you're not using them because you will one day use them, that's a different thing. That's Hmm. like all of your clothes are hang like they're all over the floor because eventually you're going to wear them as opposed to I'm not wearing them now. I'm going to put them in the closet because that's where they belong because I like to have a a clear horizontal walking surface upon which I can ambulate. You know, it's, it actually makes more sense, right? Rather than having clothes all over the floor or Mm -hmm. all over that chair 
in the bedroom, which don't get me started on why is there mm-hmm. even a chair in a bedroom anyway? Because who's going to use it? Like you don't sit and look at a bed. Uh, so you know, Great. so there's other things <laughs> yeah. that happen. Design principles that are very, I would say, wrong shui. Uh, yeah. You know, of course, wrong in in a, in a non-dual sense, of course. I just say that as a bit of a joke. But so I did a I did a training uh, a course once for uh, you know, and I've done quite a bit on COVID on, on home offices, and I'm starting to create some. You know, I'm going to have some pre-recorded courses uh, on feng shui that people people can do so that, you know, they can focus on, you know, home office or look at the topic of clutter or look at, you know, different parts of the home and just sort of have like these mini chapters that they can tackle piece by piece. And I did one on a home office. And of course, you know, there was somebody in there who was, you know, quite adamant that he, you know, I functioned very well without, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I gave my spiel and I talked about it and the whys and the whats and everything. And I could not be more surprised when a week later he sends me before and after photos. Hmm. And it, I mean, what he, what he did and what he changed was staggering. Mm-hmm. And guess what? He could still function. Mm-hmm. You know, he was functioning very well in that new space. And he wasn't busy defending, you know, the need for that because he could function. Yes, you can function. You know, you can function with bad posture too, You, but you won't function as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, so there's, there's the, you know, you don't know until you try it. And there's also the reality, yes, you need to be comfortable. And what will, for a lot of people, be uncomfortable is sterile, mm-hmm. linear, non-creative. This is part of the issue of what those people, those creative thinkers are about. And so they, they get that by having papers all over the place. Whereas, what if you got yourself a plant mm-hmm. with leaves that go in what looks to the human eye as a bit of disorder, but actually has that fractal nature and some good old Fibonacci sequences and all that kind of stuff going on through it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the principles of biophilia. The patterns of nature are inherently integrating and balancing so how how is 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 that a big part of feng shui is because again i don't know is there um something about having something living in your environment an important part of that thought process that yeah absolutely i mean first of all you have the five out so you have five elements right they consider everything in the physical world is made up of one of five sort of elements fire earth metal uh water or wood so you do want to have either symbolic or actual representations, like the actual element itself shown. Now you don't need to have real fire per se, so you don't need a real fireplace or to set, you know, set right. sort of Maybe a candle or a. But you can, but you can do a candle, but actual lighting because it does the same thing. It can create warmth and it hmm. provides light that symbolically represents the fire element. Hmm. So yes, you know, having those things. So wood, um, you know. Wooden flooring, sorry, it's actually dead wood because it's not growing. Uh, you know, so living plants, and if you're not good with living plants, to be honest, if you have really nice fake plants, it's good. Oh, it works. You know, it works for me. I have this gorgeous fake orchid, and nobody knows it's fake because yeah. it's just, it's such a great one. And I, every time I see it, I love it. And I know it's not going to die and turn into that sort of orchid stick graveyard kind of situation that a lot of people have where they keep this stick, yeah. you know, these sticks growing out of a pot because right. it'll fl- it'll flower again in 11 months. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so that though is one way, like something natural, you know, anything that's natural, doesn't question itself. Birds don't question themselves. Plants don't question themselves. The sun doesn't doubt whether it's going to shine. Bird sings. The flower blooms. It just does what it does. And I think having those objects around 
can be a reminder for us to express ourselves with authenticity right. as well. And there is the science backing. This is one of the roots of biophilic design. Uh, there is an abundance of scientific evidence. And there's a fascinating study that I believe it started in the 1980s uh, in hospitals where they looked at, okay, you know, there's this side of the hospital that's got that's sunnier and has yeah. views of nature and the other side that doesn't. And they did extensive studies working both with the views and also with both images and actual nature in the rooms. Huh. And across the board, uh, the people, even if they're having same kind of surgery, same kind of procedures, uh, those with either the views or expressions of nature in the home, in, in their rooms rather, uh, required half the medication and half the healing time. Mm. Wow. That's amazing. I, I would cross the board. I had a question. Um, well, first of all, I do like wood <laughs> just in general, yeah. you know, veneers or panels or flooring, yeah. uh, just, just to have that kind of earthy, earthy feel mm -hmm. around you. Um, but you mentioned that uh, with clutter, especially that if it's if it's functional or if you're using it rather than it's not really clutter. Well, how about uh, and I'm kind of feeding this to you and, and I think I know, but I just want to hear you explain it. Um, mm -hmm. How about if you have artwork, which you don't really use, but it has an aesthetic and a pleasing value. And, and I guess mm -hmm. you've seen those plants as a similar thing. It, it makes you happy and uh, releases whatever endorphins and that gets you going. But, you know, th those are just stagnant. Um, yeah, but they can be beautiful and, and good, I guess. Artwork is one of it is one of the most important things to have in your home to have these pictures that stimulate something inside either an emotional state or creativity or whatever. And there's all kinds of ways that, you know, using like a, applying like a feng shui lens or seeing it through a feng shui perspective, you can start to see and analyze what the messaging is mm -hmm. in the same way that when you see television or magazine advertising, you know, you might see the obvious, but you don't necessarily see what the subliminal, yeah. you know, what, mm -hmm. the, what the placement is, what the colors are doing and all of that sort of stuff. You know, the reason right. the kids grab candy at the checkout line is largely because of the shiny packaging. Yeah and the color that's, yeah. yeah that's primarily what it is so that's what stimulates they don't necessarily know what's inside they just know ooh, shiny color you know and then they go mm -hmm. for it and this is what we're all like so where it becomes where the art becomes stagnant is when the same thing stays in the same place for too long that starts to become same old same old and hedonic adaptation kicks in which is that process whereby what was once new and exciting becomes same old so where's yeah. that line because you know i'll we go mm -hmm. for fun just to open houses occasionally on weekends yes. you know we'll go to homes of, of people that maybe they're they're an older you know maybe in their 60s 70s and they're thinking mm -hmm. about downsizing and they've been in that house for 40 years you know and mm -hmm. and they're very comfortable with it and of course we look at the furniture and the this and that and like oh that was really nice in the 70s but maybe not yeah. in the 2020s but they're they're perfectly fine with it and comfortable, and so it's hard for me to you know I can appreciate it if it's a good quality piece, even if it's fifty years old. But where do you draw that line? Where oh well, we've we've got to change your furniture every ten years because I know my yes. partner would be one to mm -hmm. say let's get a new couch every ten years, and I'd be like, this one's pretty good. I think this will last for the rest of our yeah. lives. And that's that's the art, and that's where you can't prescribe the one-size-fits-all. Yeah, okay. But what you do need and what is for real, and this is where I would say, you know, like work smaller first, like, you know, get flowers on a regular basis. You know, we'll revolve some, you know, if you have your favorite art pieces, you know, in a sense, ideally, you have more than fits on the wall, and you do rotation, you know, and you keep some stuff, and every few months, you know, you might actually just swap a couple of pieces out, or you move them around, or then you have that piece moves into another room, and you try it out somewhere else. 
you know, so that your nervous system gets that new hit and you get to have your familiar favorites, but you get to see it in a new light. So it's not always that piece needs to be on that wall because that's the only place that fits. That then starts to feel like, okay, there is some stagnation. And the fact is that, you know, there is, you know, and this is not judgment and it's very hard in our culture to hear these, you know, some of these statements as non-judgment when you're, you know, articulating something right. uh, like this, you know, that couple that where if, if, you know, a lot of that stuff or all of that stuff is the same, then there's a place where they stop growing. Mm-hmm. And so, you, yes, you grow comfortable, but then again, how adaptable are you? How, what's changing, what's not changing? So they can be comfortable within their unit and within there. But, you know, it's the same with our clothes. Like, you know, we can all have like that shirt still looks great and everything. But a lot of what brings us the pleasure of those items was, you know, when we first got it, it it's, it's still connected to the story of when we first got it and who we were then and how it looked and so on and so forth. And a lot of the time we're trying to relive that old experience right. and it might still look good in present time. But if you have that old shirt, then maybe you're going to have a new tie with it. Yeah. You're going to have a new cologne instead of the same cologne bottle from 40 years ago, or you're going to do or the same haircut that you had 40 years ago. Right. So you still frame things differently. And just because something is still good, doesn't mean that's the only reason to keep it. You know, sometimes you update just because it is actually really worth refreshing something. Um, so it's, 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 there's no hard answer. And this is one of the challenges because people want to have, you know, in our, like Lisa Simpson named in the nineties, right? There are quick fix one hour photo, instant oatmeal society, yeah. you know, where we want those quick answers and everything, but one hour photo still applies nowadays. Now we have instant photos, right? right. So we want everything to be, uh, you know, very easy and digestible and there's, you don't have to think about it and just tell me that it's every five years or 10 years or 20 or, and it, there, there isn't that like everybody needs to adapt. I think, I think you need to be financially responsible and you're not just throwing money around or you're not just sort of buying new things just for the sake of new things or cause the feng shui guy told you to like, you know, you really need to assess individually what, you know, what's the case. And I go through this myself where you know we can we can really like what we have yeah just frame it and there's a level where it still keeps some threads of connectivity to who we are and when we present ourselves with something new or we shift something there is an updating of self we we are all capable of and we all are evolving constantly and when your home doesn't keep up in enough places, and again, I'm not just saying just be commercialist, it's all about the outside, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just, you know, there needs to be some adapting that goes on and some shifts that go on that help you ride that wave of evolution, which is inevitably part of where we as conscious beings are being drawn. Well, and there's a, there's another aspect to that. I think it's, is important to think about it. It goes back to the kind of the novelty aspect of our, um, of, of our beings. Um, we kind of crave it. Um, but there, but it's interesting. One of the great joys I have is when I not just discover something new, but maybe rediscover something Mm -hmm. old. And so Mm -hmm. if if you, you, like you said before, you know, just because you, uh, don't, so you're not, you don't necessarily have to get rid of something, but, yes. um, you know, my, my wife, for example, she has a, a box of like old, uh, you know, t-shirts and stuff that, that, that maybe, um, that I'll, 
you know, I'll find the box and I'll go through the box and go, oh, there's my, you know, football uh, game jersey or something. And it just, you know, it's such a fun, like, rediscovery to, to find that item and go, oh, now I'm not going to put that on the wall, <laughs> you know, but but it's there. And maybe someday I will or maybe my kids will. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, but the but, but the point is, 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 you know, you can you can have those feelings anew. You can have that relationship yes. renewed totally um, just by having it out of sight for a while. Yes. Or what if you actually literally reframe some of your favorite old art? Right. You know, I mean, you can see there was a certain style of framing that was popular in the eighties yeah. and then in the nineties and then, it, right. And you reframe your old, your favorite piece. And all of a sudden it's given new life to it. Yeah. Right. So that's another thing that you can do as well. And sometimes it's, you don't need to reframe it. You just put it in a different part of the room and you've reframed it because the environment is completely different. The light is yeah. different and all of that. So uh, I think that th- th- this is really, really key and you will always have some favorites and that's great. I've got my favorites. I've got it. You know, I get it. And also, you know, sometimes letting go of some of these things is also a way that you start reframing yourself. And again, it's not a hard line and you must and so on. Uh, But let's say wedding photos, because this is a big feng shui topic because I deal with it a lot with my clients, right? So when they, you know, people, it's one of the reasons people come to me is either they're looking for a relationship and, you know, the home environment can really help cultivate that. And they've heard at least that feng shui can help uh, create space for that, or uh, they're having relationship problems. And I've heard feng shui can help with that. So inevitably couples have photos of perhaps the engagement, definitely the wedding, probably the honeymoon. And then the photos of the couple stop once they've had kids. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And there's photos of the father with the kids and the mother with the kids and the parents with the kids. And there's no photo of the parents together without kids. Yeah. After that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because that's of the course, new thing. Their life, of course, their life revolves around the kids. Like that is true. And, you know, they're a couple and that's why they had the kids, you know, because right. they were together and they were a romantic couple. And so how do you create the environment that has that? And so, you know, that not throning the wedding f- pictures, because this is, this is an interesting thing. Think oh, about it. Like, so good. why do you need to show the wedding pictures if, drum roll please, you're already living together, married? Right. So what, what's the point? And what it ends up doing is you filter your relationship through where you hoped you would be now at the time that you got married. That is so smart. Having been married for 20 plus years. <laughs> That is right, right on because, um, you know, they, they say the, the most humble day in a man's life is when, you know, you, you look at the, the journal that you meant to write and you compare it with the journal that you actually wrote, mm-hmm. you know, and it's the yeah. same thing with the marriage, you know, like, like my marriage is not what I imagined it the day of the marriage. It's much deeper, harder, yes. better, and mm-hmm. And flat out worse. I mean, like, like it's everything worse. It's in the flows. Everything plus, you know. So, but you know that picture perfect, and people make weddings picture perfect, and then so then you expect when there isn't that picture perfect, even though, like as I said, and you were saying, like the for better or for worse was actually in the vows on the day that those pictures were taken. uh, You know, you don't want to see that. So 
you know, my suggestion is always get a photo of you guys taken within the last six months. And whether it's a selfie that, you, you know, you have printed out at the local drugstore or whatever, and you have that, you place that near or within the same arrangement as the wedding photos, all of a sudden the arrangement is not in the past. Uh-huh. It's there is a burn. whole thread of connectivity into the present moment. And yeah. that is one pit stop along the trajectory of your relationship into the present and beyond. And so it changes everything completely. I think uh, the things and, you're bringing up are so important and people just, you know, need, I, I know people are going to listen to this and reflect and, and mm-hmm. maybe call you up and say, Hey, I need some real a private. Yeah, lesson absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I also want to bring up, cause I got some really fabulous feedback recently when I, I was demoing some of, some of the stuff is, you know, it can bring up emotional stuff mm-hmm. and however you feel about that and however you feel about yourself, like waking up to, oh, you know, yeah, things aren't going as well or, oh, I have let things slide or what. Okay. You might have that emotional reaction. Let yourself have that emotional reaction. Don't try to like cover that up or, oh, I'm just going to get rid of that right away. Like don't rush into it. If you let yourself feel it, it's again, it's like that water that meets that edge of the bank and then decides, okay, which way am I going to go? Then you can actually make a more aligned choice. So I'm not saying get rid of everything. I'm not saying, you know, but it's just what can we start to do Be more aware a little bit differently and from a more, you know, aware perspective. So, you know, I mean, our culture does teach us some pretty stupid things. And one of the dumb things that people say is, you know, it'll be the happiest day of your life. Yeah. What the heck? So essentially, what after that. your life is going downhill from now yeah. is literally what they are saying. Yeah. Yeah. That is completely ridiculous. Yeah. And people don't question that. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yeah. Why should it be? It is one of the happiest days of your life. It is an important day of your life. It is a memorable well, and day like, of your life. And like, like the objects, like the objects, and like everything, everything we do it's it's a it is a um uh what's the word i'm looking for it it's it's a promise it is something that that it's about the future like that's what that's what a marriage is about a marriage is about the future it's not about the moment that's just celebrating the future mm-hmm. well i mean the wedding the wedding actually the wedding is about the moment or the wedding's about the, the wedding's about the future and it's like you know it's sowing the seeds for that but then there's the growth that's actually the marriage is actually the expression and the experience of that through the years yeah. right so the marriage grows and evolves and so on and the relationship and that bond and so how that expresses and so there will be like you know the turns in the river and the yin and the yang and the you know the good and the bad and all of that uh you know for better or for worse uh, notice again, those are the relative words, right? Not bad and good. It's yeah, yeah. Better yeah. Words. So That's it's very good. yin and yang in that sense, right? It's not absolutes. Um, so, you know, but just how do you keep your relationship in present time? Like another one, you know, just to go back to the same topic. Why do you have, why would you have photos of your kids in your bedroom? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you have them, they're in right. your house. You're not going to look at them in the bedroom because, you know, you're sleeping there. And it's not going to exactly encourage you if you have them or even photos of your parents in your bedroom. That's not, doesn't really encourage a romantic relationship, right? And this is part of, again, the cooling down. That's like something that creates friction in the environment towards a certain expression because it's not consistent with the mindset 
of how it is that you would express. So when you're a newly married couple, you know, you didn't have pictures of kids in there. And ideally, I hope you didn't have pictures of your parents in the bedroom. And I've gone into places where, oh, you know, we just, I just got divorced. And it's like, yeah, you know, that large photo of your mother that's looking at towards the bed uh, on the wall. <laughs> it's not um, helping. <laughs> he might not have, he might have left your mother and not you. Um, oh. so, <laughs> you know, so there is all of these things where we subconsciously put something somewhere. We, you know, we don't, consciously do it but you know just because you didn't think about it this is again what is what we were saying about science before just because you didn't intend it or you didn't believe it doesn't mean it's not impactful doesn't mean it's not true okay. you know you can be you can be you can be ignorant of the fact that you're standing in the middle of the road and a car is racing towards you right. your knowledge of the car your lack of knowledge of the car coming towards you doesn't mean it's not coming towards you and it's not going to impact you exactly. and the same thing around the impact of what you see and how that makes you feel and i'll just bring up a very clear societal you know, framework for this, because uh, we brought up sports events uh, earlier, you know, in Super Bowl advertising, right? You know how much money they spend on those commercials? Oh, yeah, it's like oh, million. Uh, uh, half a million for 30, or a million per th for 30 seconds or something. Yeah, it's cr it's a crazy amount per okay. second that they're playing, paying, and plus production costs. And they're paying that money simply because they know they have access to more brains through eyeballs. Right. And they would not be spending all this money on both the airtime and the production if commercials didn't work, mm -hmm. if they didn't create some kind of connection between your thoughts and a product and ideally sculpt your consciousness towards becoming a consumer of that product. Right. So how, how long are these commercials? Uh, 15, 15 to 30 20 seconds. seconds. 30 15 seconds. to 30 seconds. Okay. And they're willing to spend that much money yeah. on yeah. that. All right, so tell me the value and the cost of the things that you look at for weeks, months, or years. Yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so anytime somebody's a skeptic, I was like, well, let's talk business here. Yeah. Because it is not simply because you are watching television that yep. you are programmable. Yeah. So the, everything you look at, read, and perceive programs your mindset and creates associations. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that and I'm sorry to interrupt, but but that because I want to I want to um, uh, talk about two two more things for myself. Um, and, mm -hmm. You know, whatever Elias <laughs> wants to, you know, get whatever in, you, but <laughs> in my 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 rants and my sort of fish. <laughs> we need we all need feng shui. You, you go in different routes, and then I'm like, oh wait, that, that and then like, no, 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 I know it's like I know, now, exactly. speaking yeah. speaking of you know finding the Miranda Mirandering path or whatever, you know, the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, um. I want to talk a little bit um, about kind of the more um, maybe, I don't know, controversial aspect of feng shui. Um, sure. And then, and then I also want to ask you um, just maybe a couple of simple tips or ideas that, that, that mm -hmm. somebody can, you know, actively do today if they're listening to this. Um, Perfect. So what is, um, you know, a lot of people um, think of uh, maybe a more superstitious version <laughs> of feng shui. Um, yeah. You know, you know, you put an object in a certain place and you, uh -huh. and you'll have good luck or you have great fortune, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, you know, great relationships, as you mentioned before, um, you know, so talk a little bit about that, the relationship, you know, you know, what are your thoughts on, on that aspect of feng shui? Yeah. So again, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty complex topic, like a lot of it is, and it's, there's, you know, the simple side of it and then there's the, the deeper elements to right. it. 
you know, so I just named that, you know, looking at something for a short period of time seems to impact your consciousness. So if there are certain symbols that in feng shui have been determined to be sort of have a subtextual kind of imprinting capability on your mindset, then it follows that somehow that starts to program you in a certain way to believe, think, feel, behave in a certain way. So, you know, if you think about, okay, in wealth, you know, you're often going to see, go into any Chinese restaurant, you're going to see a waterfall somewhere, <laughs> right? You're going to see a fish tank. You're going to see all kinds of different things, right? Now it's all about location, location, location for sure. So there is that element of feng shui and that's a bit complex to get into right now. Um, but if we think about, you know, a waterfall, you know, I wouldn't put it everywhere just because feng shui says so. But, you know, what it's talking about is that there's this abundance of energy, of life-nurturing water. It's one of the things that we need to survive. And here we have an abundance of it. And it's just coming our way. That has, that messaging is inherent in that form. And so, again, whether we believe it or not, it seems to communicate that. Uh, and, you know, feng shui means wind and water, which, you know, we can then translate as air and water. And so those are the two forms of energy that we need in physical form that we right. need to survive, right? We need air, we need water. And if you have those, that's a blessing. And so when you have more water than you need and you can actually keep water and collect water, that's symbolic of collecting wealth. Like you have, you've accumulated a supply that's more than you actually need just in the moment. So you have those reserves. So, you know, so yeah, isn't it? It's, it's a bit bizarre, isn't it? It's like, oh, okay, you know, so why does this, you know, so why should that programming, why should it work if I don't even believe it? Yeah, there's, you know, there's a certain mystery to it. And uh, so to bring up a certain, uh, a great skeptic story, which is one of my favorites, uh, a, a friend of mine, a British friend of mine, who's an electronic music DJ, uh, said to me one day, you know, we were having a chat and he's like, now, Mark, you know, I don't believe in feng shui or any of that rubbish. Yes. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but he said, somebody got me one of them little Japanese wavy cats. You know, the ones that you see in a lot of Asian restaurants, <laughs> little paws yeah, up. Yeah. And that's what he called it, the wavy cat. And, uh, he said, so I did what the, my friend, you know, my friend gave it to me as a gift, did what he said, put it opposite the door. Starting the next day, one booking after another starts coming in every day, a new booking completely booked for the next three months. Wow. Didn't know what was going on. I've never been this busy. He says, then I was moving, packed it up. All the new bookings stopped coming in. All the, no, no cancellations from the old ones, but nothing new started coming in. Wow. So interesting scientific thing, right? And again, he didn't believe it. He had no attachment to it. Right. Right. So then he's like, okay, wait a second. So let's check this out. So he said, gets to the new place. He says, first thing I do, bung up a shelf, as the British love to say, bung up a shelf opposite the door, put the cat there and new bookings start flowing in. So he says, so I don't believe in feng shui, but that cat's on that shelf with three packs of batteries behind it. And if anybody <laughs> goes near that thing to touch it, I'm going to break their hands. Right. right? <laughs> and so I told some mutual friends this story and they're like, well, I'm going to get that cat. Sure enough, two weeks later, I get a message from one of the guys. I'm booked up for the next three months as well. He's like, what's what is going on here? Wow. So I looked at it because, you know, my whole approach to feng shui, I like to say it's contemporary feng shui. So I, I wanted to get off that east-west duality. Uh -huh. uh, you know, I consult in Japan and I came up with a term in, when in 2003, I was invited to go present some seminars in Japan. And I said, you know, I 
and uh, people were starting to use the term Western feng shui. And I was like, well, I cannot go to Asia and talk about Western feng shui because that's just <laughs> that's rude. It's just like completely disrespectful. So I just kind of, you know, parsed out like what's the essential element here? And the essential element is, you know, here we are in the 21st century, contemporary yeah. feng shui. And how we express that in with, you know, in Asian countries is going to be different according to their culture and to each person's home and to where they are now in their life is contemporary, like present time expression. Mm-hmm. So so I was really curious because this maneki neko, as the Japanese call it, like a, a beckoning cat uh, or the wavy cat, as my friend called it. Uh, I was like, what is the deal with this thing? Right. So I, I looked at it and analyzed it. And, you know, there's the intention of the whole thing that it has the word either fortune or luck or something on it. And it's the theme of it is that it's welcoming. And if you get one that's moving, it's actually something that's moving. When you enter your home, there's a quality of movement, which draws your eye, which draws your attention, which you could say then draws consciousness, draws energy, draws flow towards something. Like if you see any movement, your eye's going to go there in right. general. This is why if you sit, this is another feng shui thing. If you sit with your desk facing the window, you know, your productivity can go out the window because anytime a bird flies by or something goes by, your eye is going to go to it and you're going to be distracted. Or yeah. rabbits jump over each other. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So I was, I was thinking, I was like, oh, I wonder if his desk is facing the window. So, um, so, uh, so I started looking at this. I was like, well, you know, so that thing works and it doesn't mean that that's the only thing you need to have. So what there is, is there's the theme of welcoming. There's the fact that there's movement in a static environment. This is one of the things that sort of what you brought up earlier, Elias, about, you know, art and being stagnant, you know, everything in our home is stagnant, which is why when we create something that's, that has mm-hmm. movement, that has that irregularity. And that's one of the principles of biophilia, uh, non-rhythmic sound is one of them. Mm. So if you think about the gurgling of a water fountain or wind chimes that happen to move, uh, you know, because some wind came through the window and stimulated them. So there's something that's not predictable, that's not in a fixed rhythm. There's something that's inherently appealing to uh, us physiologically and on a deep level uh, to that. And so that, you know, the fact that you walk indoors from the outside world and oh, there's something that's moving, boom, your eye goes there at where your eye goes, right? Attention goes, intention goes, and so on. Uh, so I started using this cat, you know, and then other moving things as well. But I, I, you know, occasionally if I have a client who has it, I'll say, okay, let's try it here. And, you know, sure enough, this client who was trying to sell her business for two years, you know, sold it two weeks after we put the cat. I mean, it was just, it's, it's staggering. So I can't fully explain Every you buy, buy those beckoning cats at www.markainley. I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> oh, I'm not selling them. And I would love to like, again, I personally don't like it. And I have also observed, wow, you know, these restaurants that have a lot of those or these places are doing pretty well, you know, compared to their neighbors or even at a music festival, where it was like, you know, here's a food truck and the food truck that had one next to the cash register and at the back next to the cooking trailer, like that place had longer lineups than anywhere else. I was like, what is going on here? So there's stuff that I can't fully get. But if you also do things with intention, there's that also. But the reality is there is integral, there's messaging that's subliminal 
that's beyond our comprehension, that's infused inside certain shapes and certain objects, certain elements, like I was talking about water or fire or any of these things, that we don't need to know or understand or even believe for it to do something. Well, and I and think it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean, sorry, just one, one okay. key point. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean that if you just put that there, then yay, everything's working, I'm gonna be original. It's, it's right. not that, and you can't predict. One of the things with this guy was he was expecting nothing. Yeah. And that is one of the key things as well. And one That's of the things that will get in your way with feng shui, if you're too, you, you know, having intention is one thing, but you know, let it go and live your life and just start, you know, go with the flow and start to see what happens. So requiring things to show up in the way that you predict them is the straight line mode that never of flowing through life. <laughs> and that doesn't happen. So that meandering pathway and that adaptability of what's happening is really the way things do flow to you in life. Sorry for that interruption. No, no, that was actually, that's perfect because it absolutely contradicted what I was about to say. And I mm. love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that and that's, that's the flow. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, those wavy cat, that's, that's just an example, right? Now there's other things where you can imagine, you know, one of the feng shui sort of theories is, you know, if you look, there's a grid with how they overlay, you know, certain colors and certain kinds of objects in certain areas of the home in relation you know, historically was done with compass directions. Now, you know, myself and, you know, how I practice it and a lot of others is based on where your door is. Uh, you know, like f put something red, for example, and this is one of the suggestions you can try. Uh, red or something in the reddish tone uh, on the far wall opposite the door when you're looking in, like center of the wall. And if you imagine, that's like the sun that's rising. Hmm. So it's like the sun on the horizon, right? And your eye goes towards the light. Yeah. yeah. Uh, go towards the light <laughs> and uh you know so just just imagine but there's that warmth and there's that rising energy and that there's something that just speaks to in a sense our biological you know our instinctual uh you know following the light and seeing the light and so having that red there it draws you into the home because every time you see the color red you know your your heart rate accelerates just a tiny little bit yeah right? just that there's just that flash so uh having that there in the position where it would be the sun on the horizon uh there's something to that so that's one little technique that you can try you know i think every room needs a needs a little splash of red because uh and ideally that opposite of the door place and it doesn't mean go this is where people want to go a whole hug i have to paint the wall red and get red curtains and get red furniture no 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 you know you 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 can see the red because of everything around it that's not red right you know if oh, you that... look at your if you look at your hand right now you can see your hand simply because there's all this stuff around your hand that's not your hand mm -hmm. You know, and that's sort of the thing with the clutter and the papers and the books and having your things, you know, when you have air that can actually circulate and go around it, that's that oxygen and that fresh air and a breath of fresh air and nourishment and, you know, that alive energy, uh, you know, the force that I like to say, you know, when people talk about chi, you know, the Chinese word for energy, it's in this, I would say, yeah, you know, Star Wars fans will call it the force, you know, this energy that permeates, if you listen to what Obi-Wan Kenobi said about this, you know, this energy that permeates and moves through everything, it's pretty much, that's yeah. what George Lucas was talking about. Yeah, so. Thinking. Um, so, you know, if the air doesn't touch it, if everything's jammed in so tightly, there's a level where it has stagnation. So uh, bookshelves, cabinets, uh, closets, you know, if you can manage 70% full, seems to be a little formula that seems to work. Having objects in between stacks, some stacks mm. horizontally and some vertically just to sort of change things up, uh, you know, that's something 
that that can work as well. I think it's just that updating the relationship and not packing everything in so densely where something that's functional can also be aesthetic. And that ties in a little bit, I think, Elias, of what you were speaking to before, right? Like they don't need to be dual. I think you can have an office that is perfectly functional and is aesthetic. And I think that a lot of, you know, the, the mad, mad professor kind of things where, you know, things go completely, you know, there's the, you know, Einstein's desk, that famous photo. Of right. It, right? Uh, you know, it's great, you know, and he did what he did and I'm not going to come, I'm going to complain about what he did. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm also kind of curious. I was like, wow, I wonder if, you know, if he had a plant over there and the desk was tidy, what would it be like? And that client of mine who, you know, you know, the person who attended that seminar who then, uh, you know, made the change despite his defense of that desk and, and did put a plant there and did make it a bit more appealing. You know, there was, there was a positive shift in how he was able to work. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, a plant, a plant somewhere. And again, it doesn't mean, you know, giant, you know, six foot tall, you know, sort of, or, or, you know, huge things, but buy yourself flowers every week. And it's something that's great because it changes the colors there. It's fresh. Uh, you know, you're bringing in nature. There's also water in there. There's the, you know, you're creating color. There's non-linear that you're welcoming into the space. So there's all kinds of abundance and beauty and wealth that comes from, from that experience of just having fresh flowers. That's, that's, that's so cool. Well. Um, Elias, do you have anything before we go? No, I think that's great to hear. Just kind of wrapping up on, on this great advice it's a really yeah, fun conversation I, and actually if i can use the uh the term because i really appreciate that you said that uh you know i i i heard from someone recently a fabulous insight that i've started incorporating and they said um insight not advice mm, yeah and you know when you have the insight nobody needs to tell you what to do you really do get to choose and that's what I'm trying to do and what I hope I'm doing here. And, you know, and again, you know, our, in our culture, we tend to use the word, right? Here's an expert and they're telling me something. So that's advice. And so we, we tend to look at it that way. And what I'd really like to be able to do is sort of encourage, you know, hopefully I can do that and also encourage others. You know, if we're able to just provide insight, mm -hmm. people can then get to choose if they want to do something or not, or what's going to be best for them. So, you know, you don't have to do any of this stuff. You know, there's this guy on the, on the radio who's you know, on this podcast, who's telling you all this stuff. Yeah. So what, <laughs> right? Well, you get to listen. If it resonates, if yep. there's some insight, if it starts to make sense for you, then you get to assess, okay, am I going to try this or not? Maybe uh, if you, you like know, it, that insight can become advice. That's right. it. And, but it's you, but you start advising yourself based on the insight. That's right. Right. And based on all of that. And that's what I try to do is that, you know, whenever anybody asks me, oh, well, you know, what color should I paint my room? The first thing I do is say, tell me three colors that you, you like. That's and if their colors would be, you know, again, I use this expression as a joke. If all three colors were like wrong shui, that gives me some interesting information. Yeah. Because I'd say, okay, there might be some unintended consequences to some of the choices you're making. And here's what they are. Instead of me just imposing a suggestion and they follow it, but then, you know, that insight never gets there because they didn't actually learn if you had a certain inclination, Yeah. which does bring me back to for with your bedroom. You know, if you want to keep things warm in the bedroom, you like to feel warm in bed, you want to have a warm relationship, maybe the warm colors would help as opposed to, you know, cool colors. There you go. Yep. You know, it's, it's just, isn't that just common sense? That and is. yet we don't seem to apply that. And then in design, you know, everybody says, oh, well, you know, well, masculine colors, you know, they tend to, you know, 
ma- masculine bedding tends to be black, blue, uh, yeah. you know, gray kind of color. And it's oh, like, mm. <laughs> and we're talking about, right, how emotionally unavailable people are, lack of warmth, a little bit hard, hard edged. Right. It's like, mm, really? Maybe they'll you know, be masculine colors. Yeah. That. <laughs> you know, exactly. And, but this is what will happen. Anything that's out of alignment mm-hmm. in our culture will reinforce itself. And what gets expressed in that way? Uh, an Ayurvedic practitioner told me once, you know, when you're out of alignment, you are naturally going to crave what will take you further out of alignment. And when you are aligned, uh, you, you will crave what will continue to deepen that alignment. And so this is the issue. And this is where, you know, this sounds, this can be misinterpreted, but where I'll say, you know, if you just trust your intuition, is it really your intuition, mm-hmm. right? Is it, is it just your sense of what's comfortable because it's familiar, but that's actually expressing a subconscious blockage. That's where feng shui practitioners can come in and they can look at a space with that broader non-personal perspective where, you know, it's not my stuff and I can start to see the patternings and I see the subliminal messaging and I can say, you know, you're saying you want a partner, but everything I see, you know, here's this image of a single woman over here and here's that single, you know, single cushion over there and here's that single item over there and you start seeing single 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 all over the place Mm -hmm. that the space is communicating and flashing to you then you know how are you going to be not single yeah if you're not creating that and then you have that that, those cool colors so then it's you have to work that much harder to warm things up in the bedroom Mm -hmm. so uh you know not to mention that blue gets six you know you, you can end up feeling blue if you have too much blue <laughs> right. It's just kind of common sense as well. And I'm not saying then, and people have tried to do this. Oh, don't have blue then, because no, that's not what I'm saying. It's like, what's the balance? What's well, it's the that yin yang thing again. It's that's you, know, it. you can't you can't have, you know, it's impossible to be happy all the time. Otherwise, you're, you're that's insane. That's it. That's yeah, it. So of course you need relationship blue. to something and, else. Right. Yeah. That's it. That's uh, it. I, I want to ask you, because I know that I, 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 I hope as people listen, I know people are going to have a lots of questions and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, I, and I know this is, uh, by the way, I also wanted to mention, mm-hmm. I appreciated this, um, this conversation because, um, you know, not only to make me think about my relationship with the objects in my house and the things around me, but in a, in a real way, you know, it changed my relationship with you. Like I've always thought of you as the piano, you know, the piano files guy and, and the music guy and, and the guy to go to on some of those expertise. But, but talk to, talking to you about this, you know, deepens and enhances that relationship. So I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing Thank this with me. Thank you. And I, I think then, then also as you, you know, as you then deepen your relationship with your environment, I mean, you're deepening your relationship with yourself because you're, you're opening mm-hmm. yourself to the conversation of what is it that I value and how do I see myself and right. where am I wanting to go and what's going to help me get there? Yeah. You know, what are the signposts that I'm looking to, you know, what artwork, you know, do I put and what do I look at that is like that map? that takes me, you know, the signpost that I see on my journey. So, uh, I mean, there is so much to this and so much of this that does resonate to the music because all of the great performances we've been listening to, these have been people who had their clear sense of themselves and what they were expressing and they did it in their individual way. And, you know, each person's home should ideally look different from everybody else's, not just like what's in a magazine, not just what does the feng shui book tell me, you know, the art of it is really, you know, just like, how are you guys going to play the Chopin Nocturne in your way that is both a service to Chopin and to music and also an expression of your own 
perspective, right. mm -hmm. then how do the four walls of your house become a home mm -hmm. in a way that the home that welcomes you back home and then welcomes anybody who comes into your home who wants your home, not like the HGTV home, no offense to the, not, no offense to them, but you know, it's just not just well, what's necessarily is designer. Right. And it's not yours. You know, it's not, it's not your life. Well, that's it. And that's why, you know, when people, when people ask me, you know, well, what color should I do in my bedroom? I don't live there. You know, it's, so I want to hear, you know, first what you want, and then let's have a conversation and find out, okay, given what you've told me, given what you want, what's going to work. So how, how can people get in touch with you if they want to consult with you or, or if they want to have some questions? What's the best way sure. for people to get information? Uh, so my website is senseofspace.com. It is about to undergo a major renovation. So there's a couple of little bugs in there. Unfortunately, right now, it is being refunctuated. Oh. So <laughs> so uh, um, you can reach me at mark at senseofspace.com. And uh, Instagram is actually a really great place to find me. Okay. So a uh, sense of space with underscores between each word, sense underscore of underscore space on Instagram. I do posts, uh, you know, most days of the week uh, with little bits of advice and inspiration uh, advice. There we go. Insight that hopefully <laughs> leads to advice. Uh, but, you know, some images and occasionally you know, on Fridays, I tend to use a, a really do a funny Friday kind of, uh, you know, a bit of a joke kind of thing that actually leads to a little, you know, here's the moral of the story kind of thing. And uh, Instagram's kind of one of the best places to sure. sort of get some regular updates. Facebook, we all know what social media has been like, and uh, they've been, their algorithm has just cut my, you know, thousand people on the page to about three or four people getting the notifications. Wow. You know? So yeah, it's, so just, Instagram, it's and, and that makes sense. I mean, being Instagram's kind of better. photocentric. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I, I tend to max out the word, you know, I'm quite generous with the information that I share and I tend to max out, oh, I have to shorten this because I'm past the word, you know, the <laughs> character count. And, uh, so, but it's, it's, it's quite fun. And, you know, the important thing to recognize for anybody, you know, whether you think it's right, right way or wrong way or whatever it is, is, you know, you want your home to speak to you. And there's the you who's already you who it's speaking to now. Because that's who you are now, and it's the expression of yourself. Who you are more deeply, I think, can be drawn out by some new choices. And I think that some of those suggestions uh, and insights on the page can really help you tap into that. And it's still cookie cutter because anything that's in the mainstream or whatever or that I'm going to have to do there has to be generalized because each person is different and I can only speak in generalities. Mm -hmm. When you get something that's really individual, uh, it is phenomenal what starts to happen. And uh, it's been, you know, I'm, I've had, I've been in thousands of homes yeah. and uh, it's kind of amazing. I've probably been in more Japanese homes than the average Japanese person because <laughs> <laughs> culturally they don't invite people to homes. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's an honor and it's a really fascinating way to sort of see how, you know, everybody wants to live a fulfilling life. Right. And your home can be the map in a sense that then helps you start to navigate the territory outside of your four walls in a different way with some more flow so that oh, you know, when those inevitable obstacles show up, they become actually just part of the way. They're rewriting, rerouting opportunities. And if you just want to yell plot twist because something different happened and uh, then start to roll with what it is that's shown up in your life, then uh, life can be more interesting. And I, and I don't want to go down another path, but what you just said just sparked something that, that I think is really important when that is, you know, so a lot of times 
um, you know, we, we look forward to things. We look forward to a vacation. We look forward mm-hmm. to retirement. Like we look forward and we have like this image in our mind of what that will be like and, and everything. Yeah. And, 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 but those, like those vacations, they only last so long. They only are only short, like, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're only short segments of, of, you know, this kind of hits of adrenaline of, of happiness. Yep. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's yes. not sustainable in a way. And so mm-hmm. if you can get the, the small things in your life, right. Like if you can, like, if you can get your room, right. If you can mm-hmm. get, um, you know, your, your, your schedule first thing in the morning, right. Like those, mm-hmm. the, those things that you do every single day, mm-hmm. I mean, if you can get those little things right, it will yeah. pay huge dividends. Absolutely. And by right, it's actually, it's aligned, right? And it's right. aligned, like there's that, there's right. that <laughs> lack of, there's that smoothness and that integrity of who you are and how the space expresses so right. that it's basically that inside and outside does become one. And that's kind of, that is the magic. And that's where, you know, you do then get those little delights. And, you know, I have to say, I was, I was very fortunate that during COVID, you know, I could do a lot of work. I've done online consultations for years and I could continue that. And I never get bored at home. That's awesome. You know, like my home is set up in a way where like I can absolutely enjoy it. There's always something for me to do. I can always enjoy it. And of course, I still need the hits and, you know, to go outside and to get fresh air and have unexpected experiences and all of that. But, you know, I was fortunate in that, you know, being at home and I realized not everybody has that luxury for many, many reasons. And it's not to, you know, um, to dis, to dismiss any of the, those realities. But, uh, this was something that I was very fortunate that, you know, how my space welcomes me and reflects me mm-hmm. and therefore affects me in an evolving, continually evolving way. And the way I'm still updating, you know, I'm still doing that now and post COVID, you know, now it's not fully post COVID, but you know, 18 months right. on and things are changing. <laughs> you know, I am feeling the need to make some shifts and that is part of it. Cause you know, we do change and the space does need to reflect that. So, you know, I am very fortunate. And I, I, my wish for everybody is that they would feel at home at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's nice. That's, that's wonderful. Beautiful. I think that's a great place to end Mark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being on the show again. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's always a pleasure to speak with you both. And uh, thank you for uh, giving, giving me my soapbox to shake my fist. It's like, please live your lives and have your beautiful oh, home. It's, it's great insight, Mark. It's great insight. Yeah, so, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, and Elias, again, thank you for co-hosting with me. I really appreciate your input. And, and this has been a lot of a great conversation. Big learning experience. Yeah, thanks. Absolutely. So, um, you've been, you've been, you've been talking to Mark Ainley. You can reach him at mark at senseofspace.com. Um, also sense of space underscore a sense underscore of underscore space on Instagram. Check them out there. There'll be links in, um, the show notes. And my name is Mike Levitt and you're listening to, and if love remains. Yeah.